So when I was growing up, I was a band kid, which meant that I was in marching band, concert band, pep band, jazz band. And I started off in fourth fourth grade playing the recorder, not near as well as Jean-Luc Picard. In fifth grade, they would let you choose an instrument, and so I chose the saxophone. They said to me, oh, oh, your fingers are too small for the saxophone, little boy. You should play the clarinet. And I said to them, if I don't get to play the saxophone, I'm not going to join your stinking band. And so they let me because I wanted to be like Richie Cunningham. I wanted to be cool. And if you don't know who Richie Cunningham ask your, is, ask your grandparents. Okay, ask your grandparents. By the time I was in eighth grade, I was first chair saxophone player. And I was so excited for the start of my freshman year in high school, the Blackford Bruin Marching Band, 159 members of Marching Awesomeness. And so I went off to band camp, and I was excited, and I had a great band camp experience. Back then, it was only seven days, not the 21 days that it is now, okay? It was only seven, and we were state champions with just seven days, just saying, okay? So I came home, I came home, I get in the car, and no sooner than the door had closed, than my father turns to me and he says, son, I have news. And I knew in that moment something not great was going to happen. And he explains to me, while you were gone at band camp, I lost my job. I was unfairly fired. Your mother and I do not have money to pay next month's bills, which is three months away. So we have decided this week that we're going to up and move in two weeks from Indiana to Las Vegas, Nevada, so that I can work for your grandfather. And in that moment, my freshman year changed. I have news. Some of you are old enough you remember. Did you hear President Kennedy was shot? Some of you are old enough to remember. Did you hear someone shot President Reagan? No way. Some of you are old enough to remember. Did you hear someone has flown planes into the towers in New York? Okay, I have news. I have news. Some of you have sat in a doctor's office and you've had the doctor come in and she has said to you, I hate to have to tell you this. I am so sorry, but the biopsy result has come back and it is cancerous. But here's what we're going to do. Some of you have opened up an envelope or gotten an email. Congratulations. The University of Kentucky is pleased to offer you admission into their graduate school of nursing. You will receive a three-quarter tuition scholarship and a $1,000 stipend a semester. And you go, yes! Some of you have been to an event, right, where you've cut open the cake and on the outside it looked chocolate and on the inside it was pink and you're like, why is the cake pink? This is weird. It doesn't doesn't taste like strawberry. Why is it pink? And then your friend points to their belly. We're expecting, okay, and then people lose it at that moment. Some of you at Thanksgiving, you've been to some Thanksgivings where a cousin has done the whole, hey, could you pass the mashed potatoes? I need some mashed potatoes right here. And then all of a sudden, everyone notices the carrot and a half that's on her ring, and they go, oh, my God, okay, and then the screaming starts. Some of you, some of you have had the same person that gave you a ring serve you papers. Some off-duty deputy shows up and says, you've been served, okay? I have news. The earliest Christians used a word to describe the core of their message, And if they'll put that word on the screen, that word is euangelion, which 
loosely translated means good news, euangelion. It's also the word where we get gospel. Euangelion is where we get the word evangelist, okay? These Christians insisted that something big had happened that they needed to tell people about. And so I want to teach on this today because the gospel in far too many churches gets reduced to a set of truths, a set of propositional truths. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sin. I believe. And so, and, and they say, if you just believe these three or four or five truth statements, you're in. And so I kind of want to set that state when we set it straight. When we reduce the gospel to just a set of propositional truths, we lose the character of what the earliest Christians affirmed. Namely, they had news. Something that you needed to know about. Euangelion is also a, a very close related relative and it's used in the first century by Roman heralds to announce the enthronement of a new Caesar. Uh, someone would come into a town, let's say the town of Antioch, and they would say, behold, citizens of Antioch. I think Roman heralds talk that way. They probably had big chests, really stocky legs. They would walk in, get on some half you know, pillar. Good citizens of Antioch, I bring you... Euangelion, good news. Tiberius is now Caesar. Declare your allegiance to him and you will receive the protection and blessings of Rome. Good news, good news. Something has happened that you needed to know about. Of course, when we hear the word gospel, if you grew up evangelical like I did, you tend to associate it with Paul and all this stuff he writes in his letters. And, and it's in there it's in there, but Paul didn't go from town to town in the first century simply taking a set of truths with him, walking into the synagogue and going, oh, you guys, you believe those set of truths. I used to believe those too because I was the Hebrew of Hebrews, but I'm telling you this set of truths over here, these are the better truths. These are the right truths. Paul also didn't go from town to town telling people about his personal experience. He didn't uh, and he had one. If anyone had a personal experience, it was Paul. Um, on the road to Damascus, there's a voice. He's blinded. He, you know, what an amazing thing. But he didn't show up town to town going, hey, hey, I want to tell you, I had this thing happen to me, and you can have a thing happen to you too. No, he went from town to town proclaiming the gospel. He went from town to town proclaiming the gospel. And in order to understand it, I want to orient you a little bit to the backstory of the gospel. A long time ago, God made a promise to a man named Abram that he would bless all the peoples of the earth through that man, through his descendants. Even though humanity had basically said, eh, God, we can't trust you. God, we don't want to have anything to do with you. God, we want to run life our own way. Thank you very much. God made this promise to Abraham that he would pursue a relationship with the people that he had made, despite their rebellion. God formalized that promise that he made with Abraham to some of Abraham's descendants that were known as the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelites, okay? And part of that formalized promise is that the Israelites were to love God and love their neighbor. And they were to be a light to the nations, but they didn't live up to that calling. They turned away from God. They oppressed people. They failed to love God and to love others. 
And so they were judged. Foreign armies came in and occupied their towns and cities and land. And many of them were rounded up and sent off to live in exile in foreign countries. And while they were there in exile, they wondered how in the world will God's promise ever be realized? We blew it. In the middle of that context, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair, it will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness, they'll see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniform bloodstained by war will all be burned. There'll be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Interestingly, in the Gospel of John, John says this, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I bet you know who they're talking about. Who are they talking about? Who are they talking about? Jesus. This is critically, critically important. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to this time of the Lord's favor, When the Messiah will appear, when Jesus, we know his name now, will come, okay? In Isaiah chapter 61, God speaks to the prophet and and God says this, Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring, there's that word again, Good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. The people hearing those promises from Isaiah, some of them were in exile. They had their tail between their legs. They were doubting God's goodness. Let's be honest, a lot of us have been in the same place because we had a cancer diagnosis, because someone who said they loved us walked out on us, because we can't get the job that we wanted so bad, any number of things, and we're right where the Israelites were. I'm not sure God is good. I'm not sure God will ever deliver. I'm not sure God can save. And yet, something happens in Bethlehem. 
and there's a baby born. And we celebrate his birth this time of year, every year at Christmas. And that person is Jesus. So I say all of that background that in hopes you will get something from this passage from Luke chapter 4. Jesus is in a synagogue and something remarkable happens. Luke chapter 4 verses 14 to say 22. When Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power, reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Hopefully you're starting to make some connections. In a synagogue service in the first century, they did some predictable things. They would start off by reciting the Shema. Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor. They would say this every synagogue service. They would have rep- prayers that they would recite. Then there would be a reading from the Torah, one of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, one of those books. Then there would be a reading from one of the prophets. And then some rabbi would stand up and explain what they had just heard. Does this sound familiar to you? <laughs> Okay? Some rabbi would stand up, and it's during that moment of exposition, I think Jesus makes this comment, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus is affirming several things in making that statement that's recorded right here in Luke. He's saying, first of all, I, Jesus, am anointed by the Spirit for a specific ministry. He's saying, I, Jesus, yes, I am a prophet. I am a prophet declaring the arrival of a new era. He's saying, yes, and I will bring about the release, the freedom, the sight that is promised in Isaiah. And he's, any Jew in that synagogue knew that Isaiah 61 was talking about end time salvation, when God would kind of sort of come to the rescue at the very end. And Jesus is saying, That thing that you think is so far off in the future, that's the one day, someday, maybe, I sure hope so kind of a thing, that thing is going to unfold right now before your very eyes. Some of them were skeptical. Isn't this Joseph's son? Really? But they were amazed, nevertheless, at his teaching. Now, if they could put those verses up, especially the verse that talks about, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. You know, you guys are smart. You know that not everything you read in the Bible is to be taken literally, right? So in this particular passage, when it's saying the poor, it doesn't mean people who don't have any money. 
there's a Jewish word, anawim, and it refers to a stance and attitude. There are poor, there are people who are poor, they're afflicted, they're downtrodden, they've been oppressed, and they know they need God. No one needs to shout at them, no one needs to kick them in the butt, they know they need God. They're unaweaned, they're poor, they're humble, they have open hands to God and God's ways. Unlike the Pharisees, who, by the way, when they go around, right, they're off. God must be truly impressed by my acts of piety and almsgiving. Take a look, Lord. <laughs> we know what Jesus had to say about one of those guys, right? No, the Anawim are open. And so Jesus says to the Anawim, to the poor, the afflicted, those who know they need God, I have good news. God's about to do something that's going to change everything. Which is why the earliest Christians, when they would go from town to town, they would say, hey, hey, I have a euangelion, I have good news. God has done something and you need to know what God has done. It's something that is amazing. It's something that we had been waiting for, we Jews. And just like the Roman heralds, early apologists and evangelists would do that. And they would say, but, but, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And if you're interested, you can get in on it and let him change you and let him change the world around you. So allow me to kind of bring this where you and I live, if I can. Christianity at its core is not just a set of beliefs. It's not just a set of propositional truths. It's not just a set of behaviors. I go to church, I read my Bible, I don't have sex, whatever it is, right? (laughs) Christianity is not just that. At its core, Christianity is about a person. It's about Jesus. This Christmas you need to cement and own and understand for yourself and get and define who is Jesus. Who is he? And you need to cement that up. And this Advent season, I would encourage you to kick the tires, explore, let the texts say and claim what they're saying and claiming, and then either go, yep, or set it aside. But take some time to wrestle and explore Because at the end of it all, you need to answer the question, who is Jesus? The second thing about the gospel that impacts where you and I live is that Christianity and the gospel do not allow, it's not not this thing where it's one option among a lot of different options. You know, when somebody says Kennedy's been shot, he's not saying, well, you know, that could have happened among different things. They're saying something's happened. And it's going to change the United States. (laughs) Okay? Early Christians, when they would come in and they would say, we have good news, they're saying something has happened that changes everything. So when when you're interfacing with Christianity, one thing you can't do is look at it as one option among a lot of different options. That's That's not what Christians claim. Okay? So you can't, in a sense, look at it and say, well, you know, Zeus is okay. Like Poseidon a little better. Plato's good. Aristotle's better. Love some stuff from Buddha. The hot yoga, come on. I feel totally stretched and at ease. My joints are all great when it's all done. I mean, come on. 
Jesus, like him too, love the whole stuff about the peacemaker thing. Don't, they need to get that on that other side of the world, don't they? Right? It's not one option among other options. The early Christians were claiming Jesus is king, not Caesar, not Aristotle, not Plato, not some theory about the universe. Jesus is king. Not you and certainly not me. You can refuse him, but he's not simply one option among many. When a Roman herald would show up in a town and announce that a new Caesar had been enthroned, nobody would have said in response to that euangelion, hey, dude, um, you know, we've been talking here at Antioch and we're good. So why don't you go tell Tiberius that he's, you know, that's fine, that Roman stuff. You go do your thing, we're going to do our thing, and it's, you know, it's great, okay? No, what would happen is the legions of Rome would come in, okay? So this Christmas, I want to say to you that the gospel confronts you and confronts me. Will you get in on it? Will you get in on it? Will you let it change you and change the world around you? Or will you sit on your hands on the sidelines? I hope in some way that this passage we read every Christmas will make a little bit more sense. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David.